Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It is really exciting after uh, five weeks of, um, of looking at Gateway Beyond and our No One Is Beyond Reach series to be able to start something fresh uh, this morning. So I hope you're, uh, I hope you're ready for, uh, for uh, what God is going to do in and through us this series. I really believe it's going to be a, a really practical series, an opportunity for us to, uh, to every week put into practice something that we've heard. So and our series is simply titled, One Another. One Another, very simple. Throughout the New Testament, time and time again, we, uh, we read verses and instructions about how to live and experience life with one another. In fact, there are 94, 94, I went and counted them myself, no I didn't, there's 94 verses in the New Testament that have the words one another in them. And they encourage us to do all kinds of things, things like pray for one another, care for one another, encourage one another and forgive one another. Even uh, of those 94, four of those verses actually encourage us to kiss one another, which is, uh, don't get too weirded out, it's actually about greeting one another with a kiss. So uh, there's some really practical wisdom throughout these one another scriptures. And I reckon there's a real need for us to explore this guidance. You know, we live in a world, we live in a, in a time that we need godly guidance on how to relate, how to treat one another. There are flashpoints of conflict uh, across our globe. The, uh, the epidemic of loneliness and isolation is, is throughout our country, and every day there is severe bullying and online trolling in the, uh, in the online world. Now, these commands in the Bible like honor one another, care for one another, be patient with one another. And they give us practical guidance on on how to navigate our relationships with others. And when we live out these one another instructions, God can change us and he can change the world around us. All of these one another statements can be summarized in, in one simple instruction, to love one another. In the book of John, a biography of Jesus' life and teachings, Jesus is recorded as saying this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, just in a few short sentences, Jesus repeats it three times to his disciples, who sometimes it takes a little while for for them to get things in their heads. But Jesus is really clear. Love one another. And God's vision for his church is that Christians would live together in a way that displays such love for God and such love for others that those who are still far from God would be drawn to the way of life that the Christian community offers that we would love one another in such a radical way that others would see that love and desire to be part of a community that expresses that love. See, when somebody becomes a Christian or is a Christian, they they have a direct personal love relationship with the Creator God. 
This is, is not a God who is angry or who is out to get you or is just waiting and watching for you to trip up some way so that he can judge you. No, this is a God who is love. A God who is full of grace and mercy. A God who wants relationship with his creation so that he can bless them with good gifts and grow good fruit in their lives. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we have this type of relationship with God. But then God doesn't call us to remove ourselves from others, to go and disappear up a mountain or go and live on an isolated island and just separate ourselves from the world to solely focus on this vertical relationship with Him. No, God calls us to be part of community, to have relationships with others, and not just to relate to others, but to love others. And one of the ways that we can actually measure our relationship with God is to examine the depth and maturity of our relationship with others, those to the left and the right of us. We're called to first love God and then love others. And so that's what we're going to explore this morning. What does it actually mean to love one another? How, How are we supposed to do that? What does that even look like? You know, Jesus tells us in that that verse that I read before, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But how? This morning we're going to explore that simple and profound command to love one another. And as we begin that journey this morning, we, we need to understand what that word love actually means. Today we use the word love to, to mean a number of things. We use the word love to give our opinion on something that's changed. Oh, I love what you've done with your hair this morning. And we also use the word love to indicate our preferences. Oh, I love Fredo Frogs. We use the same word, that same word love, to express our deepest, most heartfelt feelings. Darling, I love you. Now, that word love can actually mean many things for us in the English language. But the Gospels were originally written in Greek, and the ancient Greeks had many words that are translated today in English as love. They had a a word for the love that a family has for one another. They had a different word for the love between good friends, and yet another word for the love that is expressed between a husband and wife. But none of those words are used for the, the love that we're talking about today. In John 13, a passage that we've just read from, the original Greek word that is translated into English as love is agape. You can read it on the screen. Today, you can actually get to read some ancient Greek. Those scribbles up there, that, that, whatever that is, uh, it means or it's pronounced agape. Agape. Can you say it with me? Agape. Well done. You can now speak ancient Greek. Agape means love. This agape love is is used by the writers throughout the New Testament to describe the love that God has for humanity, a love that is unconditional, sacrificial, and unending. This agape love is not just a fleeting emotion or a temporary feeling. No, agape love is an ongoing love, an ongoing choice, which is demonstrated through actions and deeds. You see, this agape love is something that you do. And so Jesus, in in this chapter, chapter 13 of John, 
actually demonstrates really practically what agape love is all about. And you can turn to your Bibles this morning in John chapter 13. The words are going to come up on the screen as well. But we're going to read a passage this morning that, uh, that is, uh, is quite a fascinating passage. This passage records the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples, right at the end of his ministry. See, for the past three years, uh, this group of disciples have been following Jesus, have been walking the dusty roads of Judea and Galilee, seeing Jesus perform miracles, teach with extraordinary wisdom and insight, and proclaim the kingdom of God. But now, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. There's going to be no more traveling, no more miracles. This is the last time that Jesus gathers with his 12 disciples for one final meal. And we're going to read from, uh, from verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows that this is the end. Jesus knows what is about to take place. As he looks around the room, Jesus knows that one of these guys, Judas, is going to betray him, hand him over to the authorities to beat him and end up putting him to death. On the cross. Jesus knows that another guy, Peter, one of his closest friends, will just later that night deny that he even knows Jesus, not just once, but three times. And Jesus knows that over the next 48 hours, every person in that room is going to run, is going to hide, is going to flee because they're all cowards. Jesus knows. And John tells us that Jesus also knows that the Father has put all things under his power. John doesn't tell us how he knows this or at what point he first knew, but here, as they're sharing the Last Supper, Jesus knows that all things are under his power. Jesus knows that right at this moment, he has more power than all the kings that have ever walked on planet Earth. Jesus knows that in this moment, he has more authority than anyone who has ever lived. And the same power that flung stars into space, the same power that created everything from nothing, the same power that parted the sea and sent fire down from heaven, Jesus has this power at his command. Jesus knows that if he decided to, nothing and no one could stop him from accomplishing whatever he wanted. And here he is in this room with 12 people, one who's going to betray him, one who's going to deny him, and a bunch of others that are going to run away. What would you do? All, all authority in heaven and earth is given to you. What would you do? Oh, I love how John puts it. I love what he writes next. He says that Jesus knows. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows what's in his friend's heart. John says in, in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God as a returning to God. And this is what I love. The next word, it says, so. Even though he knew all this, so, he got up from the meal, 
took out his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Knowing that all authority and power was his, Jesus chose to do this extraordinary thing. The Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the author of all creation, with all of his power coursing through his veins, Jesus decides to do the most humble thing that he could do in that room. He gets up from the meal and he starts to serve his friends. In a moment when all authority and power is his, Jesus chooses to serve in love by washing the disciples' feet. I'm not sure if you looked down at your feet this morning, but feet are strange, aren't they? Feet are very, very weird. You know, they're, they're just bizarre. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you know someone who has weird-looking feet. I know someone who's got weird-looking feet, and that would be me. I have, uh, I, I have this weird kind of thing with my little toe. It's so much littler than the next littlest toe. Like my little toe is probably half or even less the size of the next biggest toe on my foot. And it's been a great uh, source of laughter and joy for my wife as she has paid me out about my feet for as long as she first saw them on the beach, however long ago it was. But feet are just bizarre, right? Feet are strange. I'm surprised in the book of, of Genesis when Adam and Eve ate of the, the fruit uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they realized their nakedness and they were ashamed. I'm surprised they didn't go and put shoes on first. Forget the fig leaves. Feet are weird. They're just strange. And to try and set the scene for you of Jesus washing feet, I, uh, I tried to Google search uh, ugly feet. Let me warn you, never do that. Never ever Google search ugly feet. Uh, the images that came up were just disturbing. You know, there were, there were feet that were all kind of mangled and gnarled and the toes were going every which way. There were other pictures of feet that had toenails that had never been cut and were curling off into the distance. You know, there were other pictures of feet that just had this uh, tin ear and just looked absolutely disgusting. It makes me feel sick just talking about it. I ended up coming up with this picture because it's, it's nice and safe, all right? It, hopefully it doesn't freak you out too much. But feet are gross. They're, they're, just, they're just weird. And they're dirty and they're stinky. And especially in Jesus' time. Now, the common footwear of the day was, as you can see here, sandals. And after walking around on dusty streets, working in muddy fields, feet would get caked with dirt and mud. And so foot washing at dinner time was a, was a very common thing. In first century Judea, when you went over to someone's house for dinner, the first thing that would happen is that they would greet you and kiss you as you entered their home, as they welcomed you in, somewhat similar to today. But the second thing that would happen is the host would offer to wash your feet. Back then, having your feet washed as you went into somebody's home was as common as that person today on a cold night taking your coat and your jacket from you. But the host was never the one who would actually wash your dirty and grubby feet. They were having you over, probably to show you how important they were, so that they would get someone else to do that grubby task. Usually one of the household servants or slaves would be the one who would come and wash their guests' feet. Because that was a job for a servant, a dirty task for the lowliest person in the home. That's why it's extraordinary what Jesus does. 
knowing that he has all the power in the world, he takes off his outer tunic and puts on this slave's uniform and begins to wash the disciples' feet one by one. Their master stoops down and does something that only the lowliest of the low is meant to do. It is such a a crazy scene. I, I struggle to come up with a modern example. I mean, this is ridiculous, but this is what it was like. It's like the Queen of England, Elizabeth II, coming over to your home, knocking on the door, and as soon as she comes in, going and cleaning your toilet. It's, it's radical. It's, it's preposterous. You know, the King of Kings is stooping down to wash the muck off his friend's feet. The Lord of Lords is scrubbing out the dirt from underneath their toenails. The one whose name is above all other names is drying the feet of his friends with the towel that's wrapped around his waist. And in doing this, Jesus shows. He he shows his followers what it truly means to serve one another in love. He shows them this extraordinary example of agape love, how to humble yourself, how to put others' needs before your own, and how to love others through serving them. And Jesus tells his disciples eventually to go and do the same. And John continues in verse 12. He says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, put his outer tunic back on, and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Do you understand what I have done? And Jesus isn't actually asking his disciples to spend the rest of their time on earth going around and washing people's feet. As their teacher, as their master, their Lord, he is encouraging them, commanding them to go and serve others in love to go and do the same as he himself has just done. Jesus showed that it wasn't above him to take on the nature of a slave and serve his followers. And through this example that his disciples will never forget for the rest of their lives, Jesus is saying, hey, this is the standard. This is how you love. This is how you serve. This is what it means to follow me, to live a life where no one is above you, where the needs of others are put before your own, where you love others by serving them. Even when you know the hearts of people around you, you know the betrayers are in the room, you know there are people who are going to lie about you, you know there are people who are ashamed to even be associated with you. Serve them anyway. Love them like I love them. And this uh, flips our our notions of of power and of leadership and of success completely on its head. Jesus shows us a new way to live, where the greatest becomes the least, and they serve one another in love. And Jesus' kingdom stands in contrast to the world we live in. Instead of lording power and authority over others, those who want to be great must learn to empty themselves and serve. And this presents a challenge to us. 
Because in our broken, sinful core, we are selfish people. Serving others doesn't always come very naturally. Oh, I see it in myself. You know, at, at home, I'll, I'll, I'll just walk past the, uh, the recycling as it builds up. Even though I know that it needs to get taken out to the bin, I have this internal monologue saying, oh, I'm not doing that. I'll leave that to my wife or my kids. I'm not doing that. I walk it past it so many times, it almost becomes invisible to me. I'm not doing that. You know, whether it's in our homes with our families or in our relationships at work with our colleagues or elsewhere in our community, you've, you've probably all seen a need somewhere, but that internal dialogue says, oh, I'm not doing that. Oh, I hope that's not just me. <laughs> But this morning, I believe that this is the thinking that Jesus wants to change within us. This is the challenge of agape love, to change our thinking from, oh, I'm not doing that, to I can do that. This one's mine. I'm going to, I'm going to take that on. And this comes easier to some than others. Now, my, my son is an example of someone that this comes easily to. The church we were attending uh, last Easter, last year, my son was, uh, was five years old. We went there on Easter Sunday, and uh, instead of Easter eggs, they gave everybody who walked through the doors a little bag of lollies. Not really sure why, but that's what they did. At the end of the, uh, the service, at the end of the morning, after all the services had been done, they literally had buckets of lollies left. And, uh, and the pastor, his name was Jerry, comes up to my son Saxon and says, Hey, Saxon. Would you like a bucket of lollies? <laughs> I almost panicked. I thought, oh no, he's going to be on a sugar high for the rest of the year. Anyway, Saxon said yes, and I kind of tried to cover it up and come up with a strategy for him to, uh, to not consume all of those lollies himself. And I said, hey, Saxon, you could probably go around the neighborhood and sell them for a dollar each and make a fortune. Well, Jerry said, well, you know, it is Easter. After all, we are celebrating that Jesus came and gave himself for others. So we had a very quiet ride home. We were talking a little bit about Easter, and Saxon was just quiet in the back of the, uh, of the car. And when we pulled up in our, our driveway, he didn't even want to go inside. He, uh, he pulled that bucket out, and he, I couldn't stop him. He was just off down the street to go and start giving out these lollies to the neighbors. He didn't want to sell them. He just wanted to give them away. He was so incredibly diligent. He walked uh, into, uh, into people's properties, knocked on the door. Even though there are these giant dogs barking in their homes, he'd boldly walk up to the door, knock on the door, and ask how many people are here, and he would count out the number of lolly bags for the number of people. And it got a little bit awkward a couple of times. There'd be a few uh, ladies who opened the door, and Saxon would say, oh, here's a lolly bag for you, and is your husband home? And... Uh, <laughs> Got a little bit awkward because there are a number of uh, women who, you know, husbands weren't in the picture, and so Saxon had to navigate a little bit of that with Dad's help. But he ended up spending an entire hour and a half walking up and down the street, knocking on every door he could, giving people bags of lollies until he ran out. Incredible act of serving, incredible act of putting somebody else ahead of him. You know, he, could have, he had all sorts of things that he could have played with his toys, he could have watched TV, he could have done anything. But he chose to give up a whole hour and a half to go around and share love with people by giving them some free lollies. If the neighbors were, were gobsmacked that this little boy was coming around offering them gifts. And, and I was just blown away that Saxon, without any kind of encouragement necessarily from me, or, or his mum, would give up an entire hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon and serve his neighbours. 
See, Saxon didn't have that internal dialogue saying, I'm not doing that. All he knew was, I can do that. This is mine. Oh, oh, the simplicity, the simplicity of a child's perspective on the world. And it's no surprise that Jesus says the kingdom belongs to such as these kids. They seem to get it. But I reckon we can all, all of us can start serving in love somewhere. We can capture that thought of, oh, I'm not doing that, and shift it. I can do that. I can do that. This one's mine. Let me take it. Now, we can, take a con- we can make a conscious decision that when we see a need, we'll fill it. When we see something that needs doing, we'll do it. It might be as simple as unstacking the dishwasher at home or offering to transport uh, someone's kids to school or buying a coffee for one of your work colleagues. I can do that. This one's mine. Maybe it's cooking a meal for someone else or helping a neighbor with their yard or joining a serving team here at church. I can do that. This one's mine. Loving others the way Jesus loved means that when we see a need, we choose to meet it. When we see something that needs doing, we go ahead and do it. That's what it looks like to humble ourselves and serve others in love. I can do that. This one's mine. The beautiful thing is that when you serve others in love, God changes lives. And usually the first life he actually changes is our own. Serving others actually changes us. It changes our perspective. C.S. Lewis wrote in his classic book, Mere Christianity, he says this, he says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. C.S. Lewis is tapping into something profound here. See, when you choose to serve others, it changes our perspectives of them. When you serve people, you'll find that you'll actually begin to like them more and more. When you step outside of yourself and make a difference in others' lives, it will change your own life. Now, think about it for a second. Have you ever, uh, have you ever found it, it's, it's actually really hard to be angry at someone if you choose to, choose to serve them. If you're ever frustrated by someone, serve them. And just notice how God changes your heart. It's all about humbling yourself, putting others first. And He actually changes how we see the other person. Serving others in love changes us. And loving others through serving them also changes the world. Jesus' disciples were profoundly changed that night when Jesus washed their feet. The entire course of human history was changed the very next day when Jesus did the ultimate act of agape love and gave up his entire life on the cross for the sins of all humankind. And throughout history, as Christians around the world have followed Jesus' example and served others in love, cities and nations have been transformed. Back in the uh, organization that Lauren and I were working with in the States, our, our uh, mission, our vision statement was transformation through love. Love was the vehicle through which lives were changed. There were kids who would come out of really difficult situations. They would come directly to our uh, ranch from, from court 
or, or out of juvenile detention or have been sent there by mum and dad or usually just mum. And they would often come usually angry, bitter. They would be confused. They weren't sure what they were getting into. And the very first thing that the organization did for them was to get them a meal. What would you like to eat? What's your favorite fast food? The team would go out and visit KFC or Macca's or wherever it was and bring them back a meal. And almost every single time, these kids just had a confused look over their face. What's going on? Why would you do that? And it just opened up their journey as we explained, hey, we're here to love you. We believe that Jesus changes lives, and the way that he does that is through an incredible love. It opened up their hearts, it opened up their minds for the duration of the time that they would be with us. And we truly saw lives transformed as love was shared. This humbling, others first, putting needs above your own, love. Life is changed for the better when you step outside of yourself and serve others in love. When you see a need and meet it. When you say, I can do that. This one's mine. If you're here this morning and, and you want to see change in a part of your world, I challenge you to serve in love. If you want to change your marriage, serve your spouse in love. If you want to change your friends, serve your friends. If you want to change your community, serve your community. If you're here this morning and you're harboring some anger or bitterness towards someone, just serve them. If someone's been really annoying you and just frustrating you, serve them. If there's anger or Whatever it is, serve them. Serve one another in love. It'll transform you and it'll transform them. See, Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for all. He humbled himself and he chose to serve others in love. And this morning, Jesus looks at me, he looks at you, And he says, go and do the same. For this series, we want to make it really practical. We really want to create some space and some time in our services over these next few weeks for you to reflect on what you've heard and make a decision to go and put what you've heard into action. This morning as you came in, as Christine mentioned, you would have received one of these booklets. Right now, I want to encourage you to, uh, to take out this booklet and, and open it to the second page, which is where the theme, Love One Another, uh, is sitting. Maybe you don't want to write on a booklet, you'd rather jot a reminder or something in your phone, but we're going to spend a little bit of time just reflecting on what we've heard this morning, thinking about what God might be saying to us about who we need to reach out to love and serve with this week. 
Right now, we're going to just give you an opportunity just to, uh, to think about it, to write some notes down about who and where we can serve others in love this week. Where we might see a need and meet it. Where we know that there's something to do, we'll just choose to do it. Where we are sick of saying, I'm not doing that anymore, I'm not doing that. We change that thinking to, hey, I can do that, I will do that. This one's mine. So I'm just going to give you a little time to reflect on what it means to serve in love and respond by planning who and how you can serve this week. Let me just quickly pray. Father God, would you bring to our minds who we need to serve this week? Where we've been too busy or too angry or too hurt, would you show us how to humble yourselves as you humbled yourself? Would you show us who and how to choose to serve others in love this week? Amen. Hey, the band's just going to play and I'm just going to invite you just to uh, write and reflect on how God might be calling you to serve this week. Father God, we thank you for the extraordinary love that you have for us. Thank you for the example in your word where you took on the most humble, most lowliest job and served your friends. Father God, thank you for sending your son to show us what it means to love. Thank you for sending your son to uh, to die ultimately on the cross in the most incredible act of love of all. Jesus, I pray that you would help us this week to serve one another in love. God, where there are needs in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, would you help us to meet them? Where we see things that need to get done, would you help us to do them? Lord, would you help us to capture that thought, I'm not doing that, and change it to a statement of, I can do that. This one's mine. Jesus, as we do that, I pray, Lord God, that you would be transforming us. Lord, you would be transforming us from within as we, like you, humble ourselves 
show love to others. God, for those that we are serving, that we are loving, would you transform them as well, Jesus? Would we become a community that is known for its love for one another? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.